0: Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are just like three weeks away from Easter, and uh, man, I'm super pumped and excited about that. I'm going to be honest, if you're a follower of Jesus, Easter's a really big deal uh, because we celebrate that we don't live with a God who is dead. We live with a God who is alive, who's active, living, and breathing, and so in light of that, we celebrate it, and so in just a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. It's a great opportunity for you to invite some friends and family Uh, to spend a Sunday morning with you. If you're part of our church online family today, we want to say good morning to you as well. Church, could you do me a favor? Could you say good morning to our online family? Come on. Come on. So uh, we are in week two of a message series called Compelled. And the whole purpose of this series is to really get you and I to embrace the design that God has on our lives to go out into the world and share the message of Jesus with people. And so last week, we talked about John chapter 4. I told you it was my favorite passage of Scripture for that weekend. And so I love, love John chapter 4 because we get to unpack God's Word and see that there's a woman who is broken, who has all of these issues, and yet once she encounters Jesus she leaves behind some things in her life that were identifiers. She walks into new life and she goes to share Jesus with other people. It wasn't that she had a seminary degree and now she was qualified to tell people about Jesus. She just simply from her story was able to go to the people in the town and say, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. What she's saying is there's a guy who changed my life, who knew all the mistakes, the sin issues that I had, and he chose to To come and have a relationship with me, anyways, and that's the good news of what we experience when we come to know Jesus. And this week, what I want to do is I want to deliver a message to you called "The Labor Shortage Is Over." Now, if you are living in 2022, you have experienced some labor shortage issues recently. I was going to a coffee shop the other week, and I ordered a cup of coffee, and I, I thought. This was going to be a really quick trip, you know, but I wasn't going to the quick trip. That's different. I was going to a coffee shop. I was ready to get me uh, about four shots of espresso with a little bit of oat milk, and we were going to call it a day. And so I order my drink, and I know some of y'all are like, four shots. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I need it. I need it. And So I was at this coffee shop, order my drink. I go and sit down, and I'm thinking this is going to be five minutes, maybe 10, at most 15, and 45 minutes later, I got my cup of coffee and I was like, oh no, you know, what is happening? And and we've got to be kind to people in this season because the people who actually showed up to work, it's not their fault that there's a labor shortage. And so I was as kind as I could be. I just asked, hey, you look like you're having a hard day. And she just said, this labor shortage is really killing me. Now, maybe it's not in the form of a coffee shop. Maybe you've experienced it when you walked into a restaurant and they said it's going to be a 45 minute wait but you see that there are half of the tables available in the restaurant but there's a labor shortage maybe it's not in the food industry at all you're like pastor you just keep giving food examples right because come on maybe you've experienced it in the construction world where it's taking longer to get things or, or there's so many areas where we've experienced labor shortage But the first labor shortage that we ever see, Jesus actually talks about. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love to take you to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And this is what it says. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news about how God does things. When Jesus would tell parables, when he would teach He would illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, what he's trying to do is say, you've heard about God your entire life. You've maybe grown up around church or the synagogue. Maybe you grew up reading the Torah. You knew the laws of God, but you may have never experienced the love of God. I want to make sure you understand how the kingdom works, because the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. And so Jesus is teaching, and he's talking, and so he's proclaiming the kingdom, and He's healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his Harvest. As Jesus is talking with the disciples, he is teaching and preaching in these synagogues and in the temples, and he's all around all of these people who are hurting. They're broken, they have issues. He's healing their diseases, he's healing their affliction. But there comes a point where Jesus has run out of capacity, he's run out of bandwidth. He hasn't lost his power, but he's run out of time. Come on. We all have access to the same 24 hours in a day. And what Jesus is doing as he's looking at these people who are hurt and he's looking at these people who are broken, he sees a teachable moment with the disciples And so Peter, James, and John, and all these disciples are hanging around, and Jesus is healing people as they come into the synagogue. He has love for them. He has compassion for them because, again, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd will wander off. He'll go astray. They'll end up in a place where they never intended to go. Jesus is looking at hurting and broken people, and he looks at the disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The church has never had a harvest problem. It's always had a labor shortage. Because there are hurting, broken, and lost people in our world. There are people who desperately need Jesus, but what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is your ability to harvest is not based on hopes or dreams. It's based on how many laborers you have to facilitate the harvest. So sometimes in church, what we talk about is we need to get more lost people in here. We need to get more church people in here. But the reason why lost people don't come into the church is because the church isn't ready to facilitate lost people. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand that in order for them to reach the world, you can't just hold on to what you've been given because we're in Matthew chapter 9. As we progress, Jesus is going to die in our place, but then he's going to go be at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to commission the disciples to go out into the rest of the world. Uh, Media team, just so you know, I just saw my timer actually still says 35 minutes. I'm grateful. I sure am, but that is not going to work for this morning. (laughs) Jesus has just brought up that there's a labor shortage. And what the disciples need to do is really embrace their role in making sure that as they move forward and progress, they're not just focusing on the harvest, but they focus on building laborers. Because if you build laborers, then you'll be able to facilitate the harvest that God has. The world isn't running out of lost people, but it is running out of followers of Jesus who are embracing their mission and their purpose to do what God has called them to do. And so there's a few things out of this passage of text that I want to hopefully pull out and teach you this morning. And the first one is this, is that every believer is called to be a laborer. Every believer is called to be a laborer. Now, you might not feel like if you're a follower of Jesus, you're qualified to be a laborer, or maybe you grew up in an environment that taught all you need to do to be saved is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And let me very clearly articulate that is absolutely true. The only thing you need to do to be saved is To accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'll get to a passage of scripture in a second that will confirm that, that it's not about works. But God has designed every single one of us to do something with our lives. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, before the fall ever happens, you know what God does with Adam? He creates Adam, He breathes His life into him, and then the first thing He does is He gives him a job. Because you were made on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. Having a job is not part of the fall. It's part of God's perfect design for your life and for mine. God designed us to work. He designed us to do something with our lives. Not not only did God give Adam a job before the fall, but what we see as we keep unpacking and reading the text is that God would use Joseph to feed a nation. He would use Moses to lead a nation out of captivity. God would use more people over and over and over again. He would use Joshua to help the people enter into the promised land. He would use Esther to stand in the gap for people and pray. He would use Jonah to call a nation of Nineveh to repent from their sin. He would use David to conquer Goliath and Daniel to stand firm in the midst of a culture of compromise, God puts his people to work because from the very beginning, God's plan has been to accomplish his purpose through his people. And it doesn't just stop in the Old Testament with Ezekiel interpreting dreams or any of that. We go into the New Testament and we see that God places John the Baptist to pave the way for Jesus to come. We see that Jesus gathers 12 men and Acts chapter 17 verse 6 says that these were the 12 men who turned the world upside down. Jesus would use Peter to establish his church and Paul to plant churches all around the world. Are you with me, church? Come on. God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Every believer is called to be a laborer. And here's the good news you say, Pastor, why'd you just shout off all those Bible characters? Because if you go back and look at it, all of those people had issues, all of those people had problems. Sometimes we don't feel like we're qualified to be a laborer because we've made mistakes in our past, but God chose you on purpose for a purpose, knowing your faults and flaws and failures. That's the good news that God saw your resume looked terrible and he still hired you anyways. Come on. That's a good, gracious and loving God. But who better to preach the good news of Jesus than those who have experienced it? So God has called you and I to be laborers. I love what Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us. It says this, that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul wants to make sure we understand, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, that salvation alone is based on you and I accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That It's not about works. It's not about the good things we've done. Paul says, so that you can't take credit for it. It's not a good gospel. It's a watered down. It's not even good news at all that our salvation would be based on human performance, Because that would mean once you stop performing, you're not saved. That's not how salvation works. Salvation is based on the payment of Jesus alone. But then, after Paul talks about how we're saved by grace through faith, it's not something we can take credit for. The very next verse says this, for we are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. That's really good news, because you know what? You know what? The uh, you ever met artists, and they're like, artists are weird people. Can we be honest? For because you'll look at something an artist created, and you won't think it's a masterpiece, but they do, because they created it. That's why art gets its validation from its creator. So we're a masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things. He planned for us long ago. So no, church, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to work. We're saved to work out our salvation, to go and share the message of Jesus with others so that we can do the good things that God planned for us long ago. And I really think what Jesus is teaching these disciples is that saved people are sent people saved people are sent people. Jesus is sending us, those who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, into the fields. As Jesus is looking at these people who are broken, at these people who are hurting, and he talks to the disciples and he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The role of a harvester isn't to just sit in the house. It's to go into the fields. And the fastest way for a church to lose its effectiveness is to stop going out, is to stop telling people about the goodness of God, because the church of Jesus Christ was designed to be a movement, not a monument. It wasn't designed to be a pillar where we just celebrate the things of the past. It was meant to be a movement where we get excited about what God is doing in the present and in the future. We're called to be people who are moving, and we are on mission. God's design for the church is to grow and to expand and to overtake the kingdom of darkness, to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to reclaim territory that the enemy's taken. This is God's plan for his church. John 17, 18 says this, As you have sent me into the world, this is Jesus talking, and he's talking, he's having a conversation with God, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Who is them? He's talking about the disciples, and he's talking about us. In other words, Jesus dies for the world, but then sends you and I into the world to carry that good news. Paul says, how will they know if they don't hear? So we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to carry this good news into the world because that is what God has designed his believers to do. It reminds me of uh, Mark chapter five. We see a story very similar to John chapter four. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. (laughs) And uh, Mark chapter five, you see a demon-possessed man you see a guy who lives amongst the tombs. He's living in the graveyards, and which is, I mean, he's weird. He's got a lot of issues. Okay. But as he comes onto the, as Jesus comes onto the shore, immediately he submits to the authority of Jesus. He's demon possessed. Jesus cast out these demons into a herd of pigs, and you know, I mean, I'm just saying, if you're a vegetarian, demon possessed bacon, that'll like, that'll preach. These pigs run off the cliffside; They fall to their death. And then this man is sitting there, and he's completely changed. He's experienced transformational power that Jesus has. And the people in the town were really nervous. They were scared. They asked Jesus to leave, and he agrees. But this man who was once demon-possessed runs to Jesus, and he says, Let me come with you. He wants to just sit with Jesus because Jesus has changed his life. He's done something amazing. When everybody had abandoned him, Jesus was there. Jesus was the only person who met him where he was at, who didn't just uh, avoid him because of his brokenness, but instead saved him, redeemed him, and transformed him. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you can't go with me. Go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how gracious and merciful he's done. And the end of the text says that as the man goes into the towns to tell people that everyone was amazed and believed in Jesus. The important thing there is that Jesus didn't design this man who had experienced his transformation to just sit in the boat or to just come in and sit in church. He designed him to go to go into the world, to share about the goodness of God. And that's what God has designed us for. So we go back to the original text and we see in Matthew that being sent is the end result for Jesus. And then he addresses this thing at the end, Matthew chapter nine, verse 38, after he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You ever felt like God said something really important and then it was like, well, so what do we do now? And so this is what the disciples are doing and he says this, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, God actually wants us to harvest. And I'm going to talk about what harvest looks like in just a few minutes. But what's important is the next step is that we send out into the harvest. How do we know what it looks like for us to be laborers. I've got three things for you. They're gonna be probably the most practical things in this entire message. The first one is this. Laborers need to discover their purpose. Your purpose is different than everybody else's. Now, all of us have the same calling. We teach this sometimes, uh, I think, a little misguided in church where we, we talk about, oh, I was... I was called to preach or I was called to be a worship leader. Uh, the calling of a believer is to make disciples, period. The assignment fleshes itself out differently. But for some, we've, we've made calling a part of identity. So if we're not doing what we, were, we felt called to, then we don't know who we are. And that's not how God designed this. Our identity is only meant to be wrapped up in him. But you have a unique purpose. I like to say it like this you're weird on purpose, you know, like there's some things inside of you that from the very beginning, while you were being knitted together in your mother's womb, as Psalm says, God formed you and he put some things in you. And until you discover what he placed inside of you, you will never begin to experience the power and the presence that God has to do things in and through your life. Because there's a reason why you still have breath in your lungs. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. So you need to figure out why God put you here on this earth. And can I tell you, uh, some people live in this spot where they're like, man, I fear for my children. Here's the greatest news of all. God knew your children would be in the world they're in today. And he strategically placed them here for that reason. Because they have purpose. I'm not afraid of the darkness of this world. We walk as children of light, but you need to discover what God placed inside of you. And so we have this thing here called discover where we don't give you, I mean, you get a gift at the end of it, but like we don't give you spiritual gifts only God can do that. What we do is we help you uncover the unique design that God gave you. We help walk you through some assessments and some gift tests. And I'll tell you, it's not a perfect system and it's not a one-stop shop. If you come to Discover and then you, you don't do anything with the information you got, you're going to probably feel like this doesn't work. But when you use it as a tool to uncover and then grow from that spot, you'll figure out how God uniquely designed you. And Discover happens on the fourth Sunday of every month. So it just happens to be today, strategically orchestrated by God for this moment, right? So if you want to be a part of that, it takes place after our 1030 experience. It's at 12 o'clock. I say it like this. I can't do my job as the pastor of this church if if you don't allow me to help you figure out how God designed you. Because the call that God, Ephesians 4 is my job description. I'm here to equip the saints for ministry, and that's how we do it. You need to discover your passion. Next thing you need to do is unleash. I'm sorry, you need to discover your purpose. Next one is unleash their passion. You need to figure out what you're passionate about. Now, everybody is passionate about different things. Honestly, if you scroll through social media, you'll see who's passionate about what pretty fast. All of us have passions for a reason, and your passions are connected to your purpose. Now, sometimes we have misguided passion, but a lot of times there's things that we're passionate about that we just don't understand how they play a role in our purpose. And no one will ever be as passionate about the things God designed you to be passionate about. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they they came to me and, and they said, Pastor, why are we not doing something about this? And I said, no, we're the body of Christ. Why are you not doing something about this? Because you're passionate about that. And we'll facilitate opportunities for you to utilize your passions, but you can't just pass off your passions to other people because God gave them to you For a reason for some of you you're really passionate about serving single moms or serving parents of mixed family for some of you you're incredibly passionate about serving the homeless people or making sure that children have food none of those passions are wrong but your passion is connected to your purpose The field that we go into is our world. It's the workplace. It's where God has strategically placed us. And as we look at those things, your purpose and your passion begin to help reveal how God designed you and how you'll make a difference in the world. Can I tell you what I'm really passionate? I'm going to tell you two things I'm incredibly passionate about. The first one is I'm really passionate about people having an authentic relationship with Jesus. Jesus. That's why I tell you, if you're looking for a church where you can just come get your little checkbox off, you're going to be real miserable after three months because I'm going a, I'm to a, a stay on top of you. I'm going to talk to you all the time. You, some of y'all are like, you talk about Discover every week, and I ain't never going to quit, you know, because <laughs> I believe in it that much. I believe in helping you figure out how God designed you because there's a reason why you still feel empty because you've never tapped into the purpose God created you for. We're passionate. I'm passionate about helping people experience an authentic relationship with Jesus. I'm really passionate about helping people open God's word and it becoming living and alive. That's why we tell stories all the time. I, honestly, I'm passionate about helping people laugh in church because some of y'all look miserable sometimes. <laughs> passionate about that. You know, I'm also passionate about making sure that pastors stay healthy. And so if, if you look at the, the way I spend a lot of my time, I spend it serving other pastors and other churches around the world because I really have a heart to make sure that pastors and ministry leaders and and ministry families stay sane, centered, and married. Like, if we can do that, it matters. Those are things I'm passionate about. What are you passionate about? What do you love? Not just what you're against, right? Sometimes that's all. Your passion is not what you're against, it's what you're for. Figure that out. And then here's the third thing. Embrace their placement. Miserable laborers make terrible harvesters. (laughs) You are placed where you are by God for a reason. You may not like your boss. You may not like your job. You may hate your coworkers. But until you embrace your placement, you'll never fall in love with the mission field that God has strategically placed you in. As we're laborers going out into his harvest, into God's field, what we need to do is embrace the fact that God has strategically placed us where he has us for a specific reason. It doesn't mean that you're always going to love where you are, but you will bloom where you're planted if you quit fighting the nutrients that God is trying to pump into the soil. You've got to embrace your placement. So for some of you, you are miserable in your workplace. But what if you viewed your workplace as a mission field where you went in for the purpose of helping people get just a little bit closer to Jesus? I'm not saying you got to shove a Bible verse down their throat or passive aggressively put a sticky note on Karen's lunchbox with a Bible verse because she made you mad. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is take it one day at a time. You want to know the easiest way to share generosity with people? Bring in donuts. <laughs> Your workplace will go to a whole another level with that holy glaze of Krispy Kreme. Right? If you'll just begin to share Jesus on a practical level, like, like conduct yourself in a way that when, when people are going through hardships, when tough things happen, you live differently than everybody else, or everybody's mad and gossiping about somebody and you just choose not to. And people come to you later on and go, well, why don't you do that? And you get the opportunity to say, God, I just believe my hope is in God. And share Jesus on a real level. Hey, why did you, why'd you buy my lunch today? Man, God has just blessed me so much. And I, I just realized I'm blessed to be a blessing to others. It, it's not as hard as we make it. But you've got to embrace your placement Because if you don't embrace your placement, you'll see people in the field as a problem, not a harvest. And these people are not problems to be solved. I hate when people take people on as projects. You don't need another project. You don't even finish the ones you start now. People are not projects. People are God's plan. People are God's children. They're his design. And he loves them and he desires relationship with them. Which leads me to the last point. What is the harvest? Well, the harvest is when people, when lost people, find Jesus. This conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples is intentional. It's meticulous. Because he doesn't just do it when they get back to the house later on. He's having the conversation with them in the middle of the field that they're in. And it's almost like in John chapter four, if you go back, I didn't have time to unpack it with you last week, but Jesus actually has another conversation about harvest. And in John chapter four, as the woman goes away to go tell the people in the town about Jesus, the disciples start having a conversation with Jesus, because they went to the grocery store to buy food and they come back and they ask Jesus if he's hungry, and Jesus says he's not hungry. And they go, Well, who fed him? Jesus says, You understand. My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. Wake up and look around. And he then begins to talk about harvest, but when he says wake up and look around, just based on the flow of the text, what we can see is happening is that this woman is coming back with thousands of people to hear about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, if, you, if you're not paying attention, you're gonna miss the harvest. We're looking at these people who are lost and broken and they're coming to hear about a God who, no matter what you've done or who you are or where you've been, he chose to die in your place so that you could have a relationship with him. It's really, really good news. It seems unfair. That's the beauty of it, that God does not give us what we deserve because he gave Jesus what we deserved. And so as we look at this story, Jesus is saying, look, there's a harvest. And the harvest are people who come and experience and find Jesus. Because when you find Jesus, you find life. So he looks at these disciples in Matthew chapter nine and he says, hey, there's all these people who are hurting and broken. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray for more harvesters. We need to pray for more laborers because the harvest is ready. We just need more people who are willing to be sent. It's the same thing that we've embraced as a church years ago. I remember I used to pray all the time, Lord, send people, Lord, send people. I wanna fill the seats, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And then years ago, I was reading this passage of text and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna shift, we're just gonna focus on helping people discover their purpose. And as we get more laborers, the harvest will naturally follow. As more people start embracing their gifts, as more people start discovering their purpose, and start serving and utilizing those things, church growth just naturally happens because you're able to facilitate more people. So why, why, why in the world do we talk all the time about you getting involved, you serving, you using your gifts? Because as you do those things, we're able to facilitate more people to meet Jesus. We don't have a harvest problem as a church. We're building more laborers so that we can facilitate and enjoy more harvest. And the harvest is the signal or the symbol that the work was worth it. It doesn't mean that the work was easy, but it was worth it because people met Jesus. So my next step and my challenge for you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, God designed you to be a laborer. He designed you to be plugged in and connected to a body that helps you discover your purpose, unleash your passion, and embrace your placement. Doesn't mean you're always going to love it. Doesn't mean that it's easy. But but that's the thing. Jesus never promised that. He promised that it was going to be difficult. He promised that it was going to be hard. But our hope is greater than anything we face in this world. So for some of you, it's time to take that next step. To be compelled into becoming a laborer, to dig roots into the ground. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but Psalm 92, 13, those who are rooted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the course of our God. But for some of you in the room today, the first step is to not be sent out because you can't carry a message you haven't embraced. And the the message is that Jesus Christ alone is the payment of our sins. He is the one who died in our place. And if you need to surrender your life to Jesus today, I want to create the moment, facilitate that opportunity. So with every head bowed, every eye closed around the room for just a moment, if you're in here today and you'd say, Hey, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I've been doing things on my own. I've been in control of my life. But today... I want to embrace the fact that Jesus Christ died in my place so that I could have new life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand for a moment and say, "That's me. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus, or you need a next step, or have a prayer request, let us know by going to hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.